we have the privilege of having with us today my pastor, one of my former, uh, our su former superintendent of 27 years in the Michigan District of the Assemblies of God. And he has served and just been such an awesome leader for us. And, and in retirement, he continues to motivate us and inspire us. And, and I'm so pleased that he's here today. And Marilyn, I want to acknowledge you, his, his wife over here. God bless you. There she is. Give her a hand. Welcome her. God bless you. Thank you for standing by his side and allowing him to minister and use his gifts. And, and she's a gift, too, in the, in the district office. What a, what a joy this couple is. And uh, I, I'm sure you're going to enjoy the ministry today uh, of Brother Leach as he just shares with us this, this missions message. Amen. Can you welcome him today? Thank you. Good morning, Central. It is uh, such a delight and honor for Marilyn to be with you today. We're so excited and appreciative of this opportunity. And I appreciate Pastor helping me out here because I can't talk without my, <laughs> without my hands. And so uh, awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor. It's a delight to be with your pastor and his wife. Uh, Marilyn and I uh, deeply love and appreciate Pastor Wally and Valerie. They're awesome, awesome uh, gifts to you. And uh, thank you for letting us be with you today, especially for missions. We love missions, you know. We love missions. And we're, we're personally involved in missions a little bit in November. Uh, you'll have to pray for me. I know you'll be really sad to hear, but in November I'll be teaching a class for two weeks in Nassau, Bahamas. So it'll be a really tough thing. So can I hear it all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I'll be teaching a class on something I know nothing about, but it is managing church conflict, and I'll be uh, ministering to pastors who know nothing, <laughs> who never experience anything like that. There's never any conflict, of course, but uh, anyway, in theory, we'll talk about, uh, talk about that, but <clears throat> it's a real delight to, uh, uh, to be with you today. Again, we love your pastor. We love this church, have so many wonderful friends here, people that have impacted and blessed our lives. Good to see uh, you guys and your wife on the screen. Wow, she is awesome, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that was uh, that's uh, terrific. Again, we love missions, and to be here at the kickoff of your uh, missions week is a is a high honor. Uh, if you take your faith promise for just a moment, we'll take them again at the end. But I want to just talk about. I want to be like the pastor who said before I preach, I want to say something. So. Um, <laughs> so before I preach, let me say something. So my time hasn't started yet, so don't start the watch or whatever. This is not the, not the sermon. But, you know, anytime I come to a moment like this, I have to remember back to our first missions convention in Adrian. Uh, before serving the Michigan District as superintendent, Marilyn and I had the, the high honor of uh, serving Bethany Assembly of God in Adrian, Michigan for 17 years. Um, it was really the sweet spot of our lives, and, and I, uh, in many respects, um, um, am jealous of you, Pastor, being such a great church, and uh, we loved our time in Adrian, and we'll be back, actually, in two weeks as part of their 75th anniversary and a lot of uh, reminiscing, but we were, uh, we were entering our first ever missions convention. The church had always been a great missions church and had budgeted and given uh, significantly to missions, <coughs> but the, the whole faith promise way of giving was just starting to uh, come into vogue in churches, and we felt that was God's will for our church, too. It was at a strategic time for us because we were getting ready to build 
our new facility out on US 223. Brother Clay, my predecessor, had purchased 50 acres, beautiful piece of land, and uh, we desperately needed to build. We were packed out, and uh, but we were in a catch-22. Um, what we needed to build to house our congregation, we couldn't afford. And what we could afford to build would have been too small for us to, you know, really stretch and grow. And, um, and we, uh, we had finally come up with a plan. We ended up being our own general contractors. It was a three-year process. It was a long process. We raised money constantly for three years and, and beyond that. And it was right at the precipice of all that happening that we, uh, we did our first missions convention. It was a week long. <coughs> we had Bernard Johnson. Some of you will remember the name. He was the, called the Billy Graham of Brazil, uh, preached to thousands in stadiums. And uh, <coughs> we had him for a week, and he told us great stories and challenged our faith. <coughs> and I remember going to that convention concerned. I had a deep concern that our people feeling the weight of needing to build, and we really needed to build, and people felt the weight of that. And uh, feeling the weight of that, my concern was that we wouldn't take real steps of faith and missions, that we'd make a pledge, but, you know, that it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't be really what we were hoping for, that people really step out in faith. And uh, I was so excited at the end of that convention, our people committed uh, $25,000 by faith to world missions. Now that was, uh, oh, that must have been, uh, I'm going to really show my age, but probably uh, 45 years ago, 47 years ago, somewhere in there. So that was a lot of money for our church and a lot of money for our people at that time. And I was so thankful and said, thank you, Lord. You know, people really stepped out. And it was the next week I went to the mailbox uh, to get the mail, and I was coming in and kind of, you know, shifting through the envelopes. And there was an envelope. I thought, I wonder what in the world this is. And I opened it, and out of the blue from somebody that had no connection to our church was a check to our building program for $50,000. And, um, and God taught me, amen, amen, amen. And God taught me a lesson he's been teaching me ever since. When we care about what he cares about, he'll take care of what we care about. Uh, he cares about missions. He had one son. He's a missionary, Jesus. God loves missions. He loves missionaries. And um, when we sow into his harvest field, and we've learned that as a family, uh, through the years with our kids growing up especially, our, our, our biggest monthly bill was our missions faith promise bill. Bigger than our house payment, bigger than our car payment, b bigger than our kids were in Christian school, <coughs> bigger than those uh, school payments. We wanted our, our greatest investments to be in the, uh, in the harvest field. And I can tell you that God has abundantly poured out blessings in our family. Both of my kids love Jesus. They're both pastoring churches, and, uh, and uh, we couldn't be more grateful. And, uh, and I know a lot of the blessings that God has brought to us is because of that generosity. You'll be making a faith promise this week, and I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of the service. But a faith promise is, as the uh, name implies, it's something by faith. You're, you're this week... Uh, prayerfully say, God, what do you want us to do? It's not a matter of budgeting. Well, I think if you know we save some money here or whatever, it's a matter of God. You know, you know what I'm going to receive this year in the form of income. You know how it's going to come. Doesn't mean we don't budget. Doesn't mean we don't sacrifice. Um, still a good word, but uh, God is the only one who knows what's going to happen to us this year. And we say, God, what do you want to do through our family, through me, 
this year for the cause of evangelism, and we put it down. It's, it's, it's by faith. It reminds me of the little boy who was at a faith promise service, and he wrote out a faith promise. I think it was for $12. And at the bottom of the card, he said, my dad will pay it. <coughs> but, you know, that's the spirit of our convention. My dad's going to pay it one way or the other. Now I have to do my part. It doesn't mean I just live lavish, you know, just foolishly and waste money. I do my part. I work hard. I, I budget. I, you know, I save. All of those. It doesn't take that away. But in the end, God's the one who knows what we're going to be able to do this year uh, for the cause of world missions. It's a matter of saying, God, what do you want to do through me? And then by faith, putting that down and then believing God throughout the year and doing what we can but believing God that he's going to supply that need. And I tell you, it is a source of so many miracles for us. It's going to be a source of so many miracles for you in this church. Talking with Pastor Wally, you know, it's exciting to hear the, the plans and the vision, and it's exciting to see uh, what God is doing. You know, is, aren't you glad that the message remains the same, but God helps us to be relevant to our culture, to find ways to reach out to people and to minister, and, and that's happening here. And so hats off to you, Pastor, and hats off to you, too. We're proud of you. We love you, and it's a delight to be with you today. So you can start the clock now. Uh, I'll start the message. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17, this is the real Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer is a prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, an outline of prayer, but... <clears throat> Jesus would have never with integrity said, Lord, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me, because Jesus never sinned. That was a prayer for us to pray. But this is the prayer Jesus prays in the garden just before going to the cross and uh, being reunited with the Father in, a, in a, the way he was before in heaven. Jesus is praying, John 17, looking at the section beginning with verse 13 through verse 19. Jesus prays, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the word has, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, here's a key verse in this for us today. As you, have, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And Lord, please anoint your word today and anoint this week. And anoint our hearts as we take great steps of faith for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Watch this video, please. Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept 
one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the other two. We shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses, several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival, on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body, and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this, and do all this, and do it right, and do it first, before this decade is out, then we must be bold. One man, President John F. Kennedy, dared to believe the impossible was possible. And eight years later, once what was considered impossible happened, a man on the moon. He chose to go, and we went to the moon. When you declare a big goal and declare it must happen, some still call it crazy. Others call it courage. In marketing, they call it a big, hairy, audacious goal. As believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we call a big, huge-to-the-moon, impossible goal faith. Jesus calls it mission, and he's the first missionary. He's the word sent to dispel all the stereotypes about God. He became flesh dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. When you're consumed with love and truth, you have to be in mission. It has become our task. As you sent me into the world, Jesus prays, I have sent them into the world. It's the adventure of a lifetime. We go because we are in relationship with Jesus. We go because he told us to go. We go because there are still over 6,800 unreached people groups, more than 40% of the world's population spread all over the planet. We choose to go because there are still more than 300 million people with no Bible of any kind in their language. We choose to go because Jesus said we would go, that we would make it to every nation, tribe, and people. We choose to go consumed with our Lord's compassion. We'll never be spiritual people unattached to our flesh and blood world. And so we choose to go. Will it be difficult? No doubt, but not impossible. Will it at times be overwhelming, maybe even discouraging? Yes, but not impossible. In some places is the mission extreme, 
radical and dangerous. Yes, but not impossible. Is it the biggest thing we've ever attempted? You better believe it, but not impossible. Will it be costly financially and in every other way? Yes, but it's not impossible. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so we choose to go, to dream the impossible dream, to give our lives for the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. We go in the same manner as our Lord who prays, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. It's exciting. And like Jesus' mission, it results in joy. Look at verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. He's praying to the Father so that they, you and me, might have the full measure of my joy within them. When he refers to these things, he's articulating all the components of his mission communicated in this prayer. Verse 4, he says to the Father, I've completed the work you gave me to do. Verse 6, I revealed your name. Verse 12, I protected them. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, I'm about to die. Verse 14, I've given them your word. Can you imagine peeking into the throne room as the Godhead discusses what it means to be divine? What does it mean to be God? Does being God imply using your position for your own advantage? No. Being God translates into service. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's what God does. That's who God is. Jesus declares being God is tantamount to enthusiastically accepting the mission, traveling to earth, becoming a human, submitting to an excruciatingly shame-filled death, and experiencing the horror of being cut off from fellowship with the Father. Will Jesus accept our punishment Will he allow it to explode and tear his heart to pieces? Will he pay the exorbitant price? Will you go, son, the father asks. Yes, Jesus eagerly responds. I marvel at a God who would do that for me. In the movie, The Last Emperor, the young child anointed as the last emperor of China lives a magical life of luxury with a thousand eunuch servants at his command. What happens when you do wrong, his brother asks. When I do wrong, someone else is punished, the boy replies. To demonstrate, he breaks a jar and one of the servants is beaten. Jesus reversed the ancient pattern. When the servants erred, the king was punished. Why would Jesus do that? Can I make it personal? Why would he do it for me? He loves me. 
It's a love marked by joy. It's his pleasure to love me. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians says, is love, is love, but it's love that has joy in it. God, Jesus loves loving us. God rejoices in loving us. God takes pleasure in answering our prayers and meeting our needs. He loves us. He wants the best for us. And he is joyous in bringing his best into our lives. Hebrews 12, 2 is staggering. It says, because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Astonishing. It makes all the grace parables spring to life. He's the good shepherd who leaves the 99 going after the one. The woman ransacking her, ransacking her home, searching for the valuable coin. The father scanning the horizon, longing for his son to return, and then running to greet him. A man of stature in the Middle East walks with a slow and stately dignity. Never does he run. The moral of the stories is joy. Listen to the concluding words of these parables. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And the story of the lost boy ends not with an apology, but with a party. Jesus exclaims, I'm, I'm telling my brothers all about my mission so they can experience the same joy I have. We were built for mission. Jesus came and announced the kingdom of God is near. He said, repent and believe the good news. The good news is that this fallen world as we know it is not the whole story. There is another realm. It's as real as the chair you're sitting in. Anytime people heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, wonder filled their heart and sometimes fears filled their tears filled their eyes. It's, it's still the same today. The good news is that this coming world, the kingdom of God, is closer than most people think. It is available to normal men and women. It is available to people who never thought of themselves as religious or spiritual. They can live it now. They can be born again into God's family. They can be sons and daughters of Almighty God. That was the mission of Jesus. And it flooded him with joy that seeped into every fiber of his personality. It's our mission, too. And it's the real source of the enthusiasm that gives us strength. We are sent. We are missionaries. Our lives have purpose. We can live with zest. Reminds me of David Livingston. You know, he gave his life in Africa. He paid a high price, some would say. He had an eye poked out by a stick. His shoulder was torn by a lion. He gave his life, and toward the end of his life, he was very sick, and he needed actually this certain medicine to keep him alive. One night, he went back to his tent and found to his horror that his medicine had been stolen. He fell to his knees and said, God, you know I need this medicine to survive. Please send it. 
just after that, Stanley arrived. He'd been sent by the Queen of England to find Livingston and write his story. And among his first words to Livingston, along with, I presume, you know, David Livingston, I presume, among his first words were, David Livingston, I'm one of the greatest atheists you've ever met. Don't try to convert me. And by the way, somebody sent you this medicine. Two weeks later, Stanley fell to his knees and accepted Christ. He begged Livingston to come home. He said, the queen will knight you. You'll live in luxury. You've given enough. You've done enough. But Livingston refused. Toward the end, he had to be carried on a cot in order to preach. One night he was brought back and he asked his faithful friend, Chumba, please put me on my knees in my tent. I've got to pray a little while before I go to bed. And his friend came back in a little while later, found him dead on his knees praying for Africa. His friend and several others carried his body 1,500 miles to the coast to ship it back to England. But before they did, they cut out his heart and they buried it under a tree. And they said, his body may belong to England, but his heart, his heart will always be in Africa. It'll always be in Africa. Postscript to that story is that 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 tree became a Christian burial ground and some years ago, the Assemblies of God, it's a Muslim country now, and the Assemblies of God needed a, needed a property, and uh, they were able to purchase that property because, because the Muslims didn't want anything to do with it because Livingston Hart was there. His heart is still blessing Africa. That's what this missions convention is about. We are supporting missionaries whose heart is someplace else. It's in Africa. It's in Asia. It's in South America. It's far-flung place, it's in Teen Challenge, and all the things we're supporting, their heart is someplace else. Our church is served by wonderful men and women whose heart, like David Livingston, is somewhere else, and they love it. Every missionary I know is happy. This is the excitement dripping from every person returning from a short-term missions trip, from every college student who decides to give a year as a missionary and to pray about a lifetime to every school student who sees himself or herself as a campus missionary. It's summed up in one of our missionaries who told me I visited Turkey on a short-term missions trip and my heart never left. What does that say to me about our role and to us about our role as a church in equipping people for life? Is it not my assignment as a Christian leader to those I serve to help them experience the same joy? We need to be motivated. We need to be electrified to see how our career, our our businesses contribute to our calling. To be challenged to give sacrificially, to have opportunities for short-term missions experiences. Our students need for their own benefit to see themselves as missionaries to give of their resources and life to reach a lost world. Our children need to be prepared for their, from their earliest memories to give. My uh, nine-year-old grandson a year ago, he's 10 now, but he began learning this lesson. His dad, the pastor, was preaching on caring for the poor and their church was in a major a fundraising campaign to, for a feeding project. And Robert felt God speak to him that he wanted him to give all the money in his peg, piggy bank. He had about $5, I think, and he'd been saving for a trip. His grandparents, not our side, but the other side, were 
going to take him to Florida, and he was saving his money. He had, he had $5, and came to his dad. Mom said, I, I think God wants me to give this $5 to the project, and he did. The next week, a lady in the church, un, unknowing uh, Robert's commitment and gift, felt God prompt her to give Robert $10. And then his grandmother, my wife, his other grandmother, not knowing this as well, said, you know, we need to give Robert $10 for his trip. And his $5 became $20. And he began to learn again that you can't, if you care about what God cares about, he's going to take care of you. It's a lesson we have to learn again and again, isn't it? I heard about a little girl who experienced a major breakthrough in her life as she learned to tie her own shoes. Instead of excitement, she was overcome with tears. Her father asked, why are you crying? I have to tie my shoes, she wailed. You've just learned how. It isn't hard, is it? I know, she cried, but I'm going to have to do it for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I suspect we feel the same thing about our giving to missions. We learn it's exciting to give, yet isn't there the tiniest bit of dread? Because we know we're going to have to do it for the rest of our lives. And we learn that it is a continuing source of miracles in our lives. Like the widow of Zarephath in the Old Testament. It was famine time. The prophet was with her. And God said, give me a little cake first. The prophet said, seemed like an unreasonable request. She was poor. There was famine she had only a little oil and a little meal. It was her entire net worth. It appeared to be an unreasonable sacrifice, but she obeyed. And it became the source of her life-giving miracle because her oil never ran out and her meal never ran out. During the Great Depression, a, a pastor reluctantly told his congregation that they would no longer be able to support a mission statement, a station in India because of their own financial difficulties. A Christian widow pled with the congregation to keep up the support, promising to pay the monthly pledge herself, even though she had a family to care for. She kept her word, although it was a struggle and hardship for her. To add to her difficulties, two, her two sons left home. Months passed with no word from them. But all the time, the widow continued to scrimp and save to pay the pledge to the mission statement in, station in India. Then one day, she received a letter from one of her sons. Both had joined the merchant marines and in the course of their travels had visited a city in India. Imagine the joy in that mother's heart as the boy told her they had found a mission in that city and both had been gloriously saved. Perhaps you guessed it, it was the exact same mission that mother had helped to keep open with her faithful sacrifices month after month. It's the irony of the right-side-up world Jesus came to establish. Live for yourself and you lose. Lose yourself for Christ and you win. What makes people on mission? Jesus' assignment emanated from his relationship with his Father. Ours comes from our connection with the Son. It's the power of mission. 
Isaiah comes to worship on the Sabbath, and he's traumatized because like many Sunday morning believers, the last person he expected to meet in church was God. He was high and lifted up, majestic, his holiness, beautiful beyond Isaiah's ability to comprehend. Isaiah discovered that you can't get near God without our insecurities surfacing. Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, he murmurs. Our gracious God has the antidote. He dispatches an angel with a coal from the place of sacrifice and puts it on Isaiah's lips, and he's cleansed. As soon as the self-loathing and self-pity subsides, God says, I've got an assignment. I need someone to preach to a rebellious, cantankerous, obnoxious, obstinate people who will never, ever listen to you. How does Isaiah respond? Well, can I have a few days to think about that? No, he says, I'm ready. Hey, send me. Hey, I want to go. Can I go? Please let me go. What happened? Isaiah is healed by an encounter with God, and immediately he finds himself transformed into a missionary. Why? What changed? He saw God. You can't see God without being sent. Another example is Abraham. God appears to him and says, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. Incredible. There's a caveat. I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing. And forthwith, Abraham is commanded to get out. He had to leave his country. It's a spiritual principle. God never blesses us except to make us a blessing. And that always means getting out. Out of the familiar. Away from our comfort zone. To a place of vulnerability and faith that God will show us. It's the only way to be like Jesus. Jesus was in heaven, perfectly secure, and he had to get out. He made himself nothing. He became vulnerable. Have you experienced it? Is God a spiritual tornado in your life? Does your hand tremble when you write the amount you're going to give on your faith promise card or on your check? Are you so involved in people's lives that it is making you afraid of how engaged you are? Yes, and you're in good shape. God never blesses us without making us a blessing, and that always involves getting out. It's the power of mission. It's the only realm where we can experience the divine. The miraculous can only happen where we can't, and only God can. Reminds me of the man who agreed to give a talk in front of a group of people and then it scared him to death. He, he wasn't a public speaker. He was scared of being a public speaker. And he said to his wife, every time I think about doing this, he said, my, my throat gets dry. A few minutes later, he said to his wife, every time I think about doing this, my palms sweat. His wife had the perfect solution, as our wives often have. She said, why don't you lick your palms? That's what God is going to say to you this week. Your, your throat's going to get dry. Your palms are going to sweat when you hold that faith promise card. And God says, lick your palms and get out there and do it. The requirements for mission may surprise you. There's a startling relationship between verses 17, 18, and 19. 
In verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them. Verse 18 is our call to mission. As you, he says to the fathers, you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Then verse 19 returns to this plea for holiness. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified, set apart, made holy. Why is our mission linked to sanctification, to holiness? We might respond for Jesus' sake, but it's also for the world's sake. Jesus says it's our personal wholeness, our health, our personal spiritual health that's necessary if the world is going to be saved. We took, could talk about our character and lifestyle, but it's, it's more than that. When Jesus prays, as the Father sent me, the control word is as. We go in the same manner Jesus did, full of grace and truth, preaching, healing, delivering, saving, letting people see God is for them. That's our message to this community and world. God's for them, for us. It's, it's who we are. We are birthed in the fires of Pentecostal power to plant churches and send missionaries. We were created for the greatest evangelism the world has ever known. Our proclamation is Jesus as Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and soon-coming King. But it can't stop there. We have to put our lives and our wealth on the line to deal with the miseries of the human condition around us. We have to become personally involved. We must respond to suffering in massive and generous ways. God personally identifies with the poor. Proverbs 14, 21, if you insult the poor, you insult the Lord. Proverbs 19, 17, if you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. Jesus will one day say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Whatever we do to serve hurting people is tantamount to serving Jesus. And if we don't care about the poor, no matter what our rhetoric, we don't love Jesus. The early church believed this. I, I wish I had time to talk about all the ways they help people. Julian, one of the last Roman emperors before Christianity was declared the official legal religion of the empire, tried to, res to revive the old pagan ways. Christianity was spreading. Julian was building temples, but everybody was going to church. He wrote a friend, a pagan priest, and he said, quote, Nothing has contributed to the progress and superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but ours as well. He was saying, Jewish people take care of their poor. Greeks care for their own, but these Christians, they minister to everybody. And they shook the world. What motivates us to be in mission? It won't be guilt. Please don't give out a guilt this week and this year. Look at John 17, 10. Jesus prays, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. Jesus' mission was to glorify the Father. Our mission is to glorify the Son. The word glory means weighty. 
as opposed to frivolous, substantial as opposed to unimportant, lasting instead of temporary or forgettable. What really lasts in this world? Certainly nothing I accomplish in myself. If living for myself is all there is, my life is meaningless. But if God is glorious, then that which is done for him, through him, and with him is what really matters. Jesus said we display his glory. We share the same mission as the Holy Spirit, which is to glorify Jesus. He is paramount. Everything revolves around him. That keeps my heart and my motives pure. I'm not on mission to make myself look good or to be able to boast, look what a wonderful, generous person I am. I don't do it to make God love me or to get answers to my prayers. I don't do it to have uh, as a means to an end or to feel better about myself. I do it as an end in itself. Consider the student who listens to Mozart in school to get an A in music appreciation, to graduate with honors, to get a good job and earn a lot of money. He listens to Mozart to make money. But something happens. He falls in love with the music. And today he spends a lot of money to listen to Mozart. Why? It doesn't get him anything. It's beautiful. It's satisfying. When we experience the beauty of God's holiness, when we feel his compassion, when we are joyfully consumed by mission, not as a means to an end, but as an end in itself, it gets us out of our pride. I am free to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before my God. I close with this image. Psalm 125, verses 5 and 6 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? Though that sow in tears. We live in a land of plenty. I've never seen an American farmer sow, cry as he's planting. I've never seen one plant, I guess, as, as far as that goes. But I don't suspect they're out there weeping as they're planting that seed. Missionary Del Tar shares a moving picture of the West African farmer living on the Great Sahel. This semi-arid bush country stretches in a narrow band between the Sahara Desert and the tropical rainforest on the coast. This savanna country twenty to receives 20 to 40 inches of rain a year, but all of it falls in a very short period during the four months from May to August. A year's supply of food must be raised in that short growing season. The eight-month dry season that follows represents some of the most severe weather conditions of any inhabited region on the globe. Del Tar writes, the following scene is etched in my memory. Harvest time is a joyous time on the savanna because food is in abundance. People laugh and smile, and there is much dancing far into the night. The staple crop is millet, and from this a meal is ground to make mush, which is eaten twice a day during the months of plenty, October, November, and December. The main meal eaten just before 
Retiring is a happy time. People sleep well on a full stomach. About January, these two meals become smaller as the granary is noticeably diminished from its original bounty. Then for many families, the month of February brings quite a change in eating habits. To conserve grain until the next rainfall, they permit themselves only one main meal, which is still eaten at bedtime. April and May are the saddest months. Many families are running out of food. It isn't unusual to hear in the, in the hush of an African dusk, small babies crying from real physical hunger. What does a father or mother say to a six-year-old boy who, after eating the only meal of the day, looks up and says, Daddy, Mommy, I'm still hungry. Can't I have just a little more to eat? In the last few weeks before the new rains come, many families sell some of their dearest possessions to buy a few handfuls of grain to keep them alive. Many wives boil bark and roots to give their families something to eat at the end of the day. It's difficult to describe the barrenness and desolation of a landscape that has not had rain for eight months under the broiling tropical sun. During that time when the majority of the population is on the verge of disaster, some bright-eyed boy will come running to his father with joyous excitement. Daddy, Daddy, we've got some grain. Quickly take it to Mommy so she can make us some mush so tonight our tummies can be full. The father asks, son, where did you find the grain? The little boy says, you know, in, in the extra hut by the animal corral, inside is a leather pouch with grain in it. The father has to explain that this is seed grain for next year's crop and is the only hope between them and starvation. Yes, it does belong to them, but they dare not eat it. How many times over the past weeks has that father or mother longingly eyed that pouch? But they know you, you cannot eat your seed. It is your only hope for tomorrow. When the rains come and the hard, cracked earth begins to soften, the whole family goes to the field in their weakened condition. With great effort, they prepare for the planting. The father takes down the leather pouch and with tears in his eyes literally throws away and buries the very commodity his family desperately needs. He weeps. He is sorry for the delay between planting and harvest. Oh, if they only dared to eat it. In spite of the sorrow, with hot Salty tears streaming down his cheeks. He invests the seed and his hopes in the earth. He has faith in the harvest. He weeps now. He believes he can dance and rejoice and sing and laugh later. Just prior to the cross, Jesus said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. That's what this week is about. Please don't eat your seed. Give yourself. Lose yourself. Invest yourself in mission, and you'll discover yourself. You'll discover the joy of Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll take this message and drive it deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray for people that have given faith promises and sacrificed their missions all their lives, and they know the, they know the truth of this. And I pray for individuals who are just now being introduced to this, maybe for the first time, or just beginning to grow in faith and, and faithfulness and giving and, and listening and following God's voice. I pray, Lord, that regardless of where we are on that spectrum today, that you'll speak to all of us in a fresh and a new way, and you'll challenge us. Lord, I pray this week and even today that you'll drop numbers into people's hearts and, uh, and that you'll give, you'll give us the faith and the obedience. We, we have to do the obedience, but you'll give us the faith and help us to obey. And Lord, we'll discover that it becomes the source of our miracles as we care about what you care about. You're going to care about what we care about. We, we're not going to give. We're not going to make commissions this week. We're not going to make uh, decisions this week in order to feel good about ourselves. But as an end in itself, that uh, you've called us to glorify you. Help us, Lord. I pray that you'll help us. May this week be a turning point critical week in the life of our families and our church and that uh, and that because of the decisions we make this week you're going to pour, pour miracles out you're going to say here's here's a group of people I can trust you're going to pour out miracles you're going to pour out financial miracles and physical miracles spiritual miracles you're going to give us new new roads into this community because because you know that the people that are drawn here are going to be well taken care of and challenged. Lord, I pray for individuals that may be in this service who aren't yet fully devoted followers of Jesus, haven't yet made the decision to let Jesus be Lord of their lives. I pray in the closing moments that you'll draw them to Jesus. Perform miracles in us, I pray in Christ's name. All our heads are bowed. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor Bill, I, I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. I've never made a commitment to be a fully devoted follower of him. Never opened my heart and allowed him to be my Lord. The Bible says we've sinned, but I don't have to tell you that. We know that. We know we've fallen short. The good news is God loves us. The kingdom of God is, is right near you right now. You can, be a, you can be a follower of Jesus. You can be a son or a daughter of Almighty God. You can, you can have an eternal destiny of loving and serving God forever and ever. And all you have to do is repent. It's just a Bible word means turn around. It just means you're going one way. You're living for yourself. You turn around and say, God, I want to live for you. I need your help. I want to follow you. I want to follow Jesus. That's what a Christian is, just a follower of Jesus. And if that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. I want to ask you to take a step of faith. If that's you, and you'd say, Pastor Bill, I'm not a, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to be today. I want to make that decision. Would you simply raise your hand and hold it real high, and as you hold it high, look, look me in the eye so we can make sure we've connected. 
And by that act, just say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to commit my life to Jesus. So anybody, just hold it up high, look my way. Anybody? Anybody? If you take out that faith promise card that you've been given, I'd like to give you just a moment to uh, just ask God to move in your life this week. Some of you won't be here next Sunday. You know you won't. Um, I hope you are. You should be, but maybe you're going to be gone or working or whatever. And God's going to drop a figure in your heart today and say, you know, I, I want to make sure I get mine in. And the ushers are going to be at the back to receive those as you leave today. Some of you may just feel like God's prompting me. I need to do it now while, you know, while I'm sensing what God is saying to me. And please feel free to do that. Next Sunday is going to be the official Faith Promise Sunday. But I hope everybody participates. And even if you've been given to missions all, you know, all of your Christian life for years and years, I, I ask you again, don't just write down the same number without saying, God, what is it you want to do through us this year? Let's do that. Let's, let's make this a holy moment and a holy season. God, what do you want us to do? stretch a little more? Is it possible that God wants to provide more resources? There are so many wonderful missionaries whose heart is someplace else, but they're here because they need to raise the budget in order to be there. It'd be so great if we could, as a pastor, I hate it to turn any missionary away. The reality is sometimes you have to. You just, you just don't have the resources as a church, but Let's not turn any away that God doesn't want us to turn away. Let's not let any of them fall short because of something God told us to do and we didn't do. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us. May this be a real spiritual moment and week for us. God, help us to do exactly what you're calling us to do. Stretch our faith. Pray, Lord, that as we fill out those cards that for many there'll be a tremble in the hand saying God you think I can do this and then Lord help us to do our part by being good stewards not being wasteful budgeting paying our tithes paying our bills then Lord I pray that beyond that you'll pour into our laps you'll pour into our hands the resources that will not only bless the world, bless the church, but bless our families as well. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in Jesus' name.